Hello, everybody. Welcome. Three clergy from St. Mark's Episcopal Church in New Canaan, Connecticut, gearing up for the Sunday Scripture. I'm Peter Walsh. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. I'm Justin Crisp. And this is a piece of Scripture you're not going to want to miss. Today we have coming at you uh, Mark 8, 27 to 38. It is the heart of the gospel. It's literally in the middle of the gospel, and it's the fulcrum or the hinge around the narrative story. It has three big parts. The first is we're going to hear who Jesus is. We're going to get Jesus' identity. This is known as the Confession of St. Peter. The second part is the first passion prediction, what it is that the Messiah, who the Messiah is and what the Messiah has to do. And the third is the consequences of being Jesus' follower. It's the way of the cross. I mean, we talk about good news. Mark's gospel is the first piece of good news written. Holy smokes, this is hard news. Okay, folks, let's begin with the scripture. Jesus went with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their, lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Woo! Smoking. What do you make of that? <laughs> this is a tough one. This is uh, Mark. Um, for me, I feel, I feel like it helps me to put it in the context of when it was written and what the circumstances were. And, you know, the Markan community was in Rome around the 50s or 60s, maybe, that this was written or a little bit after. But um, they were living under Nero, and uh, Nero had set a big fire on, to, uh, in Rome and, um, you know, following many, many evictions from Rome, Jews faced over the decade and centuries preceding, they were in constant panic mode, I think. And so to be a Jew in Rome was a really stressful way to live. And to be a Messianic Jew was more so because I think Nero set them up to kind of pit them against each other, the the Messianic Jews and the Jews who were still um, sort of awaiting a Messiah and with Nero wanting to, you know, basically 
kill them all. Mm -hmm. They just were in panic. So I think this was written for that messianic community to, you know, sort of like a beacon of light, a, a, a hope in the storm. It wasn't a way out of the storm. It was a way through, you know, so everything in this gospel is written as, as in this urgent kind of stay the course, stay in the boat, um, don't give up, you know, and, so I think Peter, you know, Peter and Paul both lived in Rome and Peter was the founder maybe of this community. And so mm -hmm. when Jesus directs comments to Peter, it's sort of maybe he's a stand in for that community who's really wondering, is Jesus really helping us or not? You know, can we really see our ways way through this? And, um, you know, it's a gospel of, of stress and um, mm -hmm. how to live with it and um, so, you know, so I think that this, the flow of this gospel maybe is that Jesus sets them up to give them this, this nugget of teaching that, mm. you know, here's what's going to happen, here's why, and here's how to stay, stay with me. Mm. Um, and it won't be easy. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth, I think that's incredibly helpful because, um, you know, I hear this last, the last third of this lesson anyway, you know, uh, if anybody wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And it sounds like I'm supposed to like go into the world seeking some great suffering, right? <laughs> As though like, okay, it's eight o'clock on Tuesday. I need to go make sure that I find a cross somewhere and nail myself to it. <laughs> um, and, you know, there are versions of the Christian story that could sound an awful lot like that. Uh, the three of us, for various reasons, have uh, let's say, avoided that kind of uh, version of Christianity in our preaching and our teaching and so on. Um, and I think for exactly this reason, which is you're saying that the audience to which this text was originally addressed are already being put up on crosses, crosses of the world's making, crosses they didn't have to choose because the Romans were going to put them on them anyway, as it were, whether they're literal or figurative mm -hmm. crosses. Um, and that's the way that I hear this passage. The, the, the call of Jesus to take up our cross is not to go out and seek some great suffering, which we've not already found, but rather to um, somehow to uh, embrace and appropriate the suffering that just happens to us in the course of our lives, whether we're first century, uh, you know, first century Christians living under Roman rule or, uh, you know, uh, whether we are ill or um, suffering from anxiety or we have uh, some other kind of, any other kind of evil which has befallen us. Um, the gospel of stress, as you put it, I just think that's great. The gospel of stress can speak to all those conditions. Um, you don't have to go out and find your stress. You probably already got your stress there. You already know what your cross is. Mm. Yeah, it's not unlike Luke, who in this passage has, uh, take up your cross daily mm -hmm. and follow me, right? Yeah, so good. this is not take up your cross and die. This is... This is the cross built in. So uh, incredibly difficult passage. I'm just going to say that. This is really, really hard stuff. And, and Jesus is a hard guy. Remember last week we, we started off our, our cast with Jesus insulting the Syrophoenician woman? That now looks like eh, a relative shoulder shrug. Okay, so we've gone from insulting the Syrophoenician woman uh, to the following Sunday where Jesus has given him the bad news of the good news. This is the bad news of the good news, which is in order for him to be the Messiah... He needs to suffer, be rejected, and he needs to die. Okay, so there's no path, there's no path there without the suffering and his death. And that, to my mind, is a serious bucket of, mm -hmm. of biblical cold water. Right? This is this is this is like oh boy. And so then when you get the get the behind me Satan line, it's like well, so this would be the temptation for him 
not to go through all that. But I, I think this has got a lot of bad news in it. I think the suffering is brutal. And I think if we, we can go over that quickly or shy away from it, but I just think it's really brutal. Mm-hmm. Mm. My favorite theologian is um, a Roman Catholic um, named Hansers von Balthasar. And von Balthasar says that the world wants to live before it's died. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I think the bad news is that um, the bad news with Jesus is delivering is that um, in various ways, in many different ways, life is actually only on the other side of death. It's only on the other side of his death. It's only on the other side, perhaps, of our deaths, our little daily deaths, uh, perhaps in some mysterious way, our actual biological death. Um, but the world wants to live before it has to die. I'm just thinking about why Peter rebukes um, Jesus here. Or, uh, it, Sorry, Jesus rebukes Peter, the text says. But Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him first. And I wonder what Peter said to Jesus, right? We don't have it here. But I like to imagine that, you know, (laughs) Peter was going over to Jesus and saying, okay, dude, wow, that was really quite depressing. Uh, I really hope you don't have to undergo all of that stuff, right? Because I love you. We know Peter loves Jesus. He does. He's he's crazy, but he he loves Jesus. Um, I would like to think he... He was dismayed by the fact that this messianic figure, the, the hope of this, uh, this Davidic king who would restore the fortunes of the people of Israel from, you know, and recover them from their oppressors, that, you know, this guy was going to be great. He was going to be a hero. And here Jesus is and saying, well, you want to live before you have to die. And guess what? That's not the way it's going to work. I'm going to have to fail first, and then I'm going to win. Victory's only on the other side of the cross. Mm-hmm. I, he didn't like it, clearly. Peter didn't like it for reasons that I, I think he's actually admirable for. He loves the Lord. Uh, we don't like it, maybe for reasons which are both admirable and less so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's right on, and I'm, I'm with Hans on this one. <laughs> Hans, Hans and Justin. Um, but, I, you know, Hans. this gospel, it's, it's, it is, that's the message, I think, here, is that there's no way around a path of suffering if it's if it's following Jesus through and through you know all the way through chapter till chapter 8 in Mark there's this series of Jesus crossing the boat and I mean crossing Galilee in a boat with his disciples and there are storms and the boat is tossed and the disciples panic and Jesus sleeps peacefully in the back of the boat and they say get up don't you care that we're you're drowning here and, you know, he gets increasingly impatient with them, always wanting that, him to save them. Yeah. And I think the message here is, uh, you know, look, look for your, create an inner place of serenity and know that I'm always with you and you're not going to get a miracle every time you're suffering. And that mm-hmm. if you um, s- stay in it, then peace peace will come, but it won't be. The miracle is that we get through it, and we are wise and strong, and you know we have persevered. I think there's a story about Peter, not in the Bible, but about him um, fleeing Rome at a certain point and then turning back and deciding he can't leave his community. He needs to go and all the way to the end. Yeah. So it could be that you know he's. He's the icon for the Markan community that, you know, they, he, he too was tempted to falter and give up and go around the suffering and avoid death and, you know, be the Satan that would take, go off the path, you know, and it's telling all of them to stay on the path. And um, it is painful. I mean, it's so, it's so terrible. Um, 
but I like also in Mark that th- these sufferings are always coupled with with a hopeful thing mm-hmm. you know I mean the storm comes and Jesus calms it finally but you know and and even with beginning of the gospel and John the Baptist is eating locusts he's also eating honey you know and there's always like a pair and then right after this That's there's true. the transfiguration you know they go from this deep dark place right up to the mountain of brightest light and you know there's never it's never just the suffering and despair it's always like you know the the light mm-hmm. at the end so I feel like Jesus is rebuking Peter, um, and the Satan is anything that would, you know, kind of do an end run around going all the way through the path. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I mean, I I must say that, you know, I think one of the things that we can say that we're hoping to do with these conversations is to make Jesus more real, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. My last Sunday sermon, No Airbrush Jesus here. And I think on the question of, of the airbrush Jesus here, I mean, I, I think their little rebuke off here is really fantastic. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I love that. And did you notice That's part great. of my, my favorite thing here is he says, you know, and he began to teach them and, and he, he interrupts them. Uh-huh. I'm like, man. And he doesn't just pull them aside and say, listen, boss, this ain't going so well. I mean, he, the word rebuke is the same word that is used to, to uh, cast out demons. And so Peter comes with wow. the full force of his Petrine ways. I mean, bam, he comes right in, he rolls right in. And Jesus is not going to take it. Bam, Jesus comes right back at him and silences him. Then he publicly silences him. Mm-hmm. You know, get behind me, Satan. Remember in Mark's gospel, we don't have the temptations like, like we do right. in Matthew and Luke where they go through the three temptations. This, I think, is the articulated temptation mm-hmm. for Jesus in Mark's gospel. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting, this stuff is like a bullion cube. I mean, this is mm-hmm. intense. We're going bam, bam, bam. Mm-hmm. And then I think that when he moves over to the second portion of it, or the last portion of the of the passage, not to be confused with the pericope. Got a lot of feedback <laughs> on the pericope last time. Not to be confused with the biblical passage. Yeah. That we're talking about Jesus changing the paradigm of Christians of spirituality. Yeah. And that spirituality yeah. change is you need to die to live, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Die to self in order that you might live. And that in there. And what, what is it? Like, you can pursue your own path. Frank Sinatra, my way, but I'm telling you, it just cost you mm-hmm. everything. I mean, mm-hmm. and he does it in, part of the thing I love that, he does it in um, accounting terms. What will it profit? Mm-hmm. You know, he really mm-hmm. puts it out there. Oh, man. You know, I, I take great consolation from the fact that um, Jesus is not just like, my boss or, you know, a particularly like, or like a mentor or something like that. You know, Jesus is not just like the great teacher and he hands you the syllabus of life and the syllabus says, well, guess what? I <laughs> guess what, guys, you got to fail before you can succeed. You got to die before you can live that kind of thing. Instead, you know, uh, we, um, you know, Christians have believed for 2000 years that Jesus is the incarnation of the God who created the universe, the God who in some sense created the conditions for all of the suffering, all of the crosses that are in the world. I had a conversation with a member of the, of um, our youth group about whether God existed a couple of weeks ago. And it was a fabulous conversation. And, um, I, you know, um, Ah, man, I wish I could share all of it with you. But um, anyway, this this member of the youth group, we basically got to a point where he was like, okay, yeah, maybe God exists in the kind of abstract sense. You know, maybe there, maybe there is something without which there would have been nothing. And we can call that God, you know, a first mover, a prime mover or something like that. And I was like, yeah, okay, maybe. And uh, then I said, you know what? That doesn't console me at all. I, if that's who God is, if God's just the creator of this world, mm. who cares? Yeah. That God, for all I can, for all I can tell, that God's a serial killer because nobody in this world is getting out alive, <laughs> right? 
Nice spin on that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but, but this is not God the serial killer, yeah. right? This is not just God who has created the world and turns it spinning and then everybody starts dropping dead. This mm-hmm. is the God who enters into the mess and doesn't just tell other people, hey, guess what? You got to bear your cross. God bears God's own cross, too, in this story. That I actually find to be good news in the hard news. You, what do you, you, you agree with that? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's that and more so that, that the, the cross exposes the way of the cross. Mm. You know, I mean, the cross exposes how we put people on cross all the time. And Jesus came yeah. to say, look, look what happens when you put people on crosses. You know, you, mm. you kill God. And, you, and um, you know, it's not, there's no purpose to it, I don't think, unless we, it, it unveils the mechanism of, of what's really going on in the human way. So, mm. yeah, I mean, I think it, uh, the resurrection is what sets Jesus apart because lots of healers, teachers, preachers were put to death or just died and... Um, you know, but his te- the, his resurrection, you know, is what makes us remember and follow his teaching and um, try to go, you know, not try to take vengeance and put everyone else on crosses, but just go mm. through it and know that we we can rise too. Yeah, the, the life eternal, the yeah, life eternal, we're present now. Uh, just really interesting conversation. Before we switch gears here, I just want to come back to one word, and that's the word must. Uh, where it says that the, they began to teach him that the Son of Man must undergo mm-hmm. great suffering. And so back to your, back to your uh, is God the first mover, or, you know, how do we, what is it? So that, so that what Jesus is saying to us is all that is happening to him is, is, built, into, is built into the salvific creation of the world from the beginning. Am I, am I, you're a theologian in residence, or how are we doing on that? I, I think that is true. That's a, that's a very hard truth, but I, I happen to think that's right. Wait, can you say that in a different way? What are you saying exactly? I just thought it was pretty much perfect, and you guys can vote on whether or not I was perfect. And I'm that. getting brownie points because uh, yeah, I agree yeah, yeah, with you. Because you agree with me. Yeah. So in other words, because it says, uh, he says the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, so that the must means that it must be the will of God uh, that he does this. It's not, it's not that, uh, you know, the chief priests and the scribes who are going to resist him uh, are the cause of it. The, 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 is there, could we possibly say that the ultimate cause is that this death and resurrection is built into what salvation is? That is the mechanism of salvation. And so, therefore, it's a godly mechanism. It didn't happen by the accident of the opposition from religious authorities. I think it can be both and there, actually. So I would agree with you that this is um, this was and is God's chosen way to save the world from sin and death. But in doing so, God uses a variety of mechanisms within the world to orchestrate that plan, including free chosen causes. Like, you know, you got, you got the con- free conspiracy of Caiaphas and the other uh, religious authorities with... Pontius Pilate and the Romans, and that's eventually what like actually gets Jesus killed. Um, mm-hmm. God can, I think, intend for those things to happen with, or can use them, can appropriate those free choices in ways that save us in accordance with God's intent, and not have just like used Caiaphas as a kind of puppet. Right. Um, that's a really difficult, it's hard to say both things at once, but I, I think I'm trying, I think I would want to say both things at once, no matter how hard it is to say. How'd you do in theology? You got a response to <laughs> well, that? Well, I, I, I feel <laughs> um, a little differently, or maybe a lot differently, but I, I would put, 
I think that that that's borderline or maybe actual atonement theology. So I find that that's really problematic for me. Um, You know, in terms of serial killer God, it might be a one in one time, one hit wonder killer God, Mm. which I really don't think it's even necessary um, to go there because I think that Jesus lived always on the side of nonviolence. He was always trying to show the violent ways of the Roman Empire or the, you know, world one, one-on-one relationship ways of, of killing each other, or canceling each other out. And I, and I think that he, he died because that way is so difficult and, it's, mm. and it exposed a power structure that did not want to lose its power and did not want to be exposed. And so they snuffed him out. Mm. And he could not be, you know, resurrection occurred because he could not be snuffed out, you know, or that that power of love or truth telling cannot be snuffed out. So, I mean, I kind of wholesale reject atonement theology, even though I know it's it's a widely and, you know, intellectually and intelligently held point of view. I just myself can't really put my head around it, you know. So I don't know. I feel the must is it's inevitable. You know, of course, he will be killed and undergo suffering. And the point is, he didn't try to circumvent it. Mm -hmm. So he must because that's the way through to resurrection. But... That's a cool conversation, okay, but one we don't have enough time for okay, at the moment. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to step in and say that was really, really, really good. That was really good. Really interesting. Um, uh, that's the way we roll here. It wasn't scripted. Uh, it, or was it? Yeah, that is for sure that nothing is scripted. Uh, I want to finish just with a, a point or two, which is to go back to the beginning of the passage. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? So he starts off right with a Gallup religious poll, right? Uh, who do people say that I am? He gets a few answers. Then he says, who do you say that I am? And that, to my mind, is one of the key questions in the Christian faith and life. Mm-hmm. Who do you say that Jesus is? This is really worthy because... How you answer that question might dictate the arc of your, the life of your spirit. Mm. Uh, and finally, uh, folks, so we are trying to figure out who we are. In other words, our original <laughs> podcast name, uh, all revved up, is moving to revved up and then to three priests in a pod. And some of these names are, are sort of out there in podcast and uh, video land. And so... Uh, we would like to ask you, who do you say that we are? So if you could reach out to us, if you have a great idea to name our, our cast, pod and video, uh, please be in touch with us. You can be in touch with us at info at You, If you know one of the clergy, you can reach out to us or you can call the office at 203-966-4515 and ask for Megan or Rob and they will, they'll get you all sorted out. Uh, in addition, we would love it if you would like or share, subscribe to our podcast. Uh, we are really hoping to build a community of love who are centered on Jesus and on the scriptures. Uh, and the more people we have participating, the more love we can all uh, garner together in our Lord's name. Yeah. Okay, uh, with all that said and done, I want to wrap it up. Anybody with a final word for, uh, for the people today? Hmm. Whatever your cross is, and I know uh, we all know the people of the parish have so many crosses. Uh, we're praying for your resurrection. Just hope that everybody out there knows how much we love you, uh, the three of us. We think about you all of the time. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Beautiful. God bless you, everybody. Take care. See you Sunday. (laughs) 